Well, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've returned to going through 1 Corinthians. You know, we as a church at times take breaks for topical mini-series, and we enjoy those. But our main habit is to go through books of the Bible, and that's what we're doing. And that brings us up to a passage this week that, that is about church discipline. Doesn't that sound like fun? That's the passage. I mean, so like if I were if I were to have my free week and it's like, hey, Pastor Rick, choose anything you want, I would never choose this topic. Like never. Like when it comes to topic, like it's the bell of the ball. Like I'm the I'm the envy of all the pastors. No, nope, not so much. We would probably never cover this. And so that this is part of the perk of the privilege of going through books, because then we come upon a passage like this and we have to wrestle through it. And I'll tell you what, it's good. It's good. And the reason why? Because it's the word of God. It's what he wrote down for us and wants us to study and know. So it's one of the perks to going through a book of the Bible that we have to engage in passages like this. So with that said, we're going to jump right to it. Here is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Paul writes this. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? So there's the problem. Uh, The problem is that a guy is sleeping with his stepmom. Okay, that's what's going on. Now, are they married? It's not clear in the text. Scholars debate this. I think probably not. Uh, Paul knows the Greek word for married. He uses that word. He doesn't use it here. Instead, he says he has his father's wife, which is Bible speak for they're doing it. Write that down in your notes. Okay, anyway, but so that's, that's, that's what that, so, uh, so a dude is sleeping with his stepmom. It's a clear sin. It's a violation of scripture. Their scripture would have been the Old Testament. It's in Leviticus 18. It's in Deuteronomy 22. But Paul says, hey, time out. Just so you know, this is even illegal. It was illegal in Roman law. So, so he's saying, that's not even tolerated by the pagans. They even know it's wrong, and you guys are putting up with it. See, so th- the problem, okay, is that a guy is sleeping with a stepmom. Now, listen, don't be surprised. Don't freak out at all. A Christian is capable of committing any sin. We're not better than. We're a mess. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we are Christians. We're not better than. The problem is arrogance. That though we're not better than, we act like our poop don't stink. Right? And and yet, uh, we, we, we should, it says, you ought to mourn. We ought to mourn, but we act like we're better than. That's the problem. All right. So now you have in front of you kind of the problem. A guy is sleeping with his stepmom. But what about the problem behind the problem? Okay? So let's say you're driving your car and the check engine light comes on. Annoying as all get out, right? That thing is bright. It's staring you in the face. You hate the thing. So you get out electrical tape. (laughs) Problem solved. Okay, but you know there's a problem behind the problem, right? And and what is that in Corinth? Well, uh, listen, the guy is sleeping with his stepmom, and that's a legit problem. But the problem behind the problem is that the church wasn't doing anything about it. 
the church ought to be like the immune system in the body of Christ. Okay, think of your immune system. You have a body, a little virus comes in. Now, you're going to be uncomfortable for seven to ten days, but it's okay, you'll get over it, you'll be better. It's not a big deal. Unless, unless your immune system is broken. That's the problem behind the problem. And now you have a big problem on your hands. The virus doesn't get dealt with. And, you, and so listen, a good doctor knows that he cannot just address a virus. If you have a broken immune system, he has to address the problem behind the problem. That's the big deal. So in the dumpster fire of the Corinthian church, it's not just that a Christian was being an idiot. Listen, that happens all the time. Trust me, that happens all the time. Okay, that happens. The question is, how does the church or the immune system respond? Or unfortunately, not respond. That's what's going on. So the big problem in Corinth, the problem behind the problem, is the immune system was broken. The church wasn't doing anything about something that even the pagans wouldn't tolerate. And so Paul is going to focus on church discipline or the immune system in the body of Christ. So that's our, uh, our focus. And, and so the solution, what the church should do, I'll tell you what, some of you won't like it. We're going to be talking about church discipline. Yay. Everyone say yay. Everyone say, I think this will be my favorite sermon. No, don't say that because you'd be lying and we'd have to do church discipline. So don't, don't do that. Don't do that, okay? Um, but there it is. So let's look at the solution that Paul gives us. Continuing in verse 2. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Well, that sounds like fun. Everyone say, this sounds like fun. No, don't lie. Don't lie. All right, listen. Uh, that's the word of our Lord. That's the Bible right there. And so what, what we're looking at there is this is actually the last, the final step of church discipline. I call this step that we read about the nuclear option. Okay, like you went through all the other options. Now you came to the last one. This is hard. This is sad. Church discipline is actually a much longer process that involves a lot of interactions, all geared towards the goal of ministry and restoration, reconciliation, the hope of repentance on the, the sinner's part. Hopefully, hopefully avoiding this, the nuclear option. You don't just jump here and push the button, right? So what you, you need to see is that in Matthew 18, there's actually, it outlines the longer process. Now, a lot of you ladies are in women's Bible study. You've been going through Matthew. And recently, Molly taught on this, and from what I heard, did an amazing, amazing job, which means you have a leg up on us, and we want to catch up as a church. So here's Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Awesome. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Notice it's a long process with many steps. The first step is you go directly to the person, i.e. no gossip. It's just between the two of you. And hopefully there's repentance and we celebrate this is awesome and you never hear about it. But unfortunately, sometimes there's not repentance. And so then it says, take others with you. Presumably at some point, church leadership is involved in that process. Hopefully again, there is repentance. Great, we're done here. But if not, then it says, tell it to the church. Or in 1 Corinthians 5, it says, when you are assembled. That's the fun part that we all love so much. I'll come back to it. But if, if there's no repentance, then what it says is you treat them as, at the end there, an outsider, a Gentile tax collector. They would be outside of the fellowship. So that's what you're supposed to do. In 1 Corinthians 5, 2, it says, removed from among you. Now, the whole process is church discipline, not just that final step. And it only progresses to the next stage because, notice, not because of the sin that started it. It only progresses because of a lack of repentance. And there's a lot of church discipline that goes on in our church that you never even hear about. Why? Because in some of the earliest stages, praise God, the person repented and grew. It's what we wanted. Awesome. It ended wonderfully, just like we hoped. And that's the goal. The goal is ministry and growth and blessing and healing and restoration. About church discipline, Warren Wiersbe had this to say. This is really good. He said, church discipline is not a group of pious policemen out to catch a criminal. Rather, it is a group of broken-hearted brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring member of the family. We're family. That's the hope. But what it requires at some point along the process is repentance on that person's part. And if they don't get humble and repent, then we're left with the nuclear option. And that's when you hear about it. But you must know it's at the tail end of a long, painful, pleading process. Lack of repentance is the problem. Not the presence of sin. Okay? So, so for this guy uh, in Corinth, it's not just that he slept with his stepmom, but that he wouldn't repent. Obviously, it, it seems from the passage that it was very well known, like they all knew about it. And evidently, it had been going on for some time, for word had reached Paul. Now, there in Corinth, Paul is across the sea in Ephesus. Travel took a long time. Word, like news didn't spread quick. Like it got to Paul. This has been going on a long time with no repentance. And when that's the case, you're left with the nuclear option. It's the worst part of ministry. Hate it. Don't like it. The goal is salvation. The goal is restoration, not kicking a family member to the curb. We don't like that. After all, people think about it. We're pastors. We're pastors, and our goal is to love them and bless them and heal them up. Not the nuclear option. Whenever we get to the nuclear option, we didn't get what we want, and we're brokenhearted about it. We're sad about it. But sadly, that was the choice of the unrepentant sinner that put us there. 
It's not fun. It's not happy. In fact, remember in verse 2, Paul talks about you ought to mourn. You see, the nuclear option has all the happiness of a funeral. We're mourning at that point. We're mourning. It's not fun. Now, what is then the, the nuclear option? What does that last step require? Well, in Matthew 18, it says, tell it to the church and then let them be treated like an outsider, right? If you go back to our passage, in 1 Corinthians 5, it says, when you are assembled, who's the you? This is one of the weaknesses of the English language. We don't know if that's singular or plural in English, but in Greek, we do, like, that's why Southerners are like, y'all, right? Because you, you had a plural then for, for you, right? In Greek, uh, th- there are singulars and plurals in the second person. So this is plural. So Paul is saying, when y'all are assembled, now remember, he's addressed this letter in chapter one, verse two, to the church in Corinth. So who's the you? It's the church in Corinth when y'all are assembled. That's the big church gathering. You're supposed to tell it to the church. Now, uh, what does Redemption Chapel do to follow the scriptures on this? We, when we hit the nuclear option, we remove a member from membership and we tell the members. Did you hear a little theme there? <laughs> That's what we do. What we don't do is ban them from the building. This is important for you to understand. Why? Because redemption does messy. And when somebody's in that hurting spiritual condition, this is where they need to be. This is where we want them to be. We welcome them. We're hoping that at some point they repent and get restored. We want that. They're welcome here. Now, we will ban somebody from the building, but not for this. It's got to be one of the three Ds. If you're causing damage, disruption, or danger, then we say, yeah, you can't be here, and we disinvite you from the building, and there it is. But, but not for this. So barring the three Ds, then, the hope is that he or she comes and repents and gets restored. But membership is no longer appropriate. Why? Because in membership, you're representing our church, you're representing Jesus, you're representing the gospel, and it's our members that are open to serve in positions of influence and teaching And we can't have that. That's no longer appropriate for this person. So we remove them from membership. Now, most people are okay with that. They're like, yeah, I get that. But it's the part where you tell it to the other members. That's where people are like, yeah, don't like that. No bueno. So uh, here's the thing. When you become a member, you sign a covenant. And so you enter into a covenant with the other members. Not with the whole congregation, but with the other members. And so it's appropriate to let them know that you've broken covenant with them. As well, when you sign that covenant, you also decide to submit to church leadership. And we've got to follow the scriptures on this and follow through. And then another aspect is this, that it's the other members, including the staff. Staff are all members. We go through the process as well. It's those other members that might ask you to volunteer in a certain position of influence and teaching, and we got to let them know, no, 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 that's not appropriate for them right now. we got to let them know that. So those are some of the reasons why. Uh, another reason is um, because it's, what's the word? Uh, biblical. It's biblical, as I've just shown. Like, that's in there, right? So we need to tell it to the church. Now, how do we tell our members? Well, we don't, as a church, we don't have, like, regular business meetings, 
membership meetings where we get together and do all that stuff. Uh, so, so one of the options is on a Sunday morning worship service like this. We don't go for that. Uh, and, and there's a couple reasons. One, not all members would be there that Sunday. So there's some we need to communicate with that weren't there. So that doesn't work as well. Another reason is that we have committed these times to worship and the word that we're doing right now. And that's the spirit we want. That's what we want to lean into. It's not a business meeting to out somebody. Like, that's not what the time's for. So we don't do that. Another reason is that on these Sunday morning services, they are attended by a lot of new people and guests and visitors, seekers, non-Christians. And we don't want to lead with church discipline. <laughs> like, hey, welcome to Jesus. We're going to out somebody. Like, it's not, like, it's not a good lead. Not a good lead, right? So what we do is we leverage modern technology. Back in Corinth in the day, they didn't have options. The only way you could do mass communications is you got everybody together. That was their only option. For us, we have the option of email. And so what we do is we send an email to our members. Now, our membership is a lot smaller than our attendance. And so some of you have never seen an email like that. And you're like, what's in that? Well, what we say is that membership is no longer appropriate for so-and-so. Nowadays, we don't say why. We just say membership's not appropriate for them. Uh, we tell our members to pray. We strongly exhort our membership, do not gossip about this, period. We don't want to compound sin upon sin, right? So don't gossip. Uh, we emphasize that he or she is still welcome here. We let them know that this, our hearts are broken over this and that this is the end of a very long process where we didn't get what we wanted. We let them know that. But because of this person's, uh, now I'm not talking about what's in the email, but uh, just to let you know, because of this person's lack of repentance, plus what the Bible instructs us to do, we have to hit the nuclear option. What we try to do, though, is within the bounds of Scripture, because we're going to follow our Lord, period, within the bounds of Scripture, we're trying to do the gentlest option possible. And still, <laughs> we get blowback every dang time. <laughs> like, bummer of a birthmark, Hal, if you remember that from a couple weeks ago. Uh, now, to be honest, I'll be straight with you. I don't think we get blowback because it's unbiblical it's not. I think we get blowback because people don't like it. To be clear, nobody likes it. Like nobody, not me, not anyone. We don't like it. It's not fun. It's discipline, also known as not fun. Not fun, right? Like that's what it is. So uh, because some don't like it, they try to get, do an end run around the nuclear option. And they say, well, maybe you can just tell it to their community group. Couple problems. Number one, you're assuming they're in some sort of small group community in our church. Uh, they might never have been. But you understand, when we're at the tail end of a long process of sin and no repentance, at that point, it's likely they're not in a community group. So it wouldn't work. Even if they were, another problem, it's not what the Bible says. Right? Like 1 Corinthians 5, when you are assembled, that's the full church. Again, in their day, no email. So when you are assembled, Matthew 18, tell it to the church. Now, here's a question. When is it that we say, hey, tell it to the church, and by that we mean tell it to a small group of people? Answer, never. 
<laughs> Never. Like, it's kind of, it doesn't flow. It doesn't make sense. Now, somehow we want to make it make sense in church, but we never, okay, I'll tease it out this way. Give you a hypothetical. Let's say Pastor Jared has cancer. He doesn't. It's a hypothetical. Don't want to start a rumor. Well, to my knowledge, he doesn't. Hey, that was morbid. Anyway, so uh, let, hypothetical, let's say he has cancer. And I tell Pastor Austin, I say, Austin, I want you to tell it to the church. Was I clear? Anyone going, yeah, but what does he mean? Like, nobody's saying that at that. Like, and, and if Austin only tells the staff team, I'm going to go, dude, I told you to tell it to the church. Well, yeah, but Rick meant, I think he meant to just tell a few people. He didn't mean the church. Yeah, listen, I know the words, a few people. If I wanted him to tell a few people, I would have said, tell a few people. I didn't. I said, tell it to the church. And I'll tell you this, I was clear. And so was God. He was very clear. I don't think it's that he's unclear. I don't think it's that it's unbiblical. I think it's that we don't like it. But here's the thing, and I want you to catch this clearly. Church discipline. The problem is that an individual isn't following the Bible. The solution is that that person repents. Not that the church fails to follow the Bible too. Do you see that? That's not the solution. That's not helping. I told you this would be fun and be your favorite sermon. I told you that, right? This is heavy stuff. I know that. But listen, I'll be straight. We are not farting around. We're not. This is not cultural Christianity. This is not consumer Christianity. This is not comfortable Christianity. This is discipleship to Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. This means something, and we're serious about it. We have to follow him. Have to. In fact, I want to follow him. I, it's not fun, but here's, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and assume something. I'm going to assume that God is smarter than us. Fair assumption? God's smarter than us. And so while I don't think it's fun, I'm going to assume that it's good. It's good. It's in his word. And I do think it's good for two reasons. The first reason is this. I think it's good for the unrepentant sinner. Even the nuclear option is part of the treatment plan. Matthew 18 says to treat him like an outsider. Okay, I get that. That means to treat like a Gentile, tax collector, he's an outsider, which means the person might not be a Christian. Might have been doing Christian religion in the church, but treat them that way. So membership's not appropriate. Representing Jesus isn't appropriate. Doesn't represent the church. What we're hoping for is repentance and faith. Might be that they're coming to faith for the first time. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says to deliver him to Satan. Whoa, what? Again, that means to treat him like he's on the other team. Okay, like a non-Christian. But notice the goal there, so that he may be saved. Even with the nuclear option, the goal is restoration and growth and hope for that person, their repentance. That's the goal. It's a shock move, hoping to shock them into repentance. Now, we are blessed in our church with tons of recovering addicts. And our addicts, you understand what I'm talking about here. When somebody is not getting sober, they're a mess, they're a train wreck, you know, you can't give them their sobriety, right? They have to own their own sobriety. You can't give it to them. 
And, and when they're not ready to work on their own sobriety, what you say is what? We're waiting for them to hit rock bottom. You want to ruin their life? No. But you're looking for a triggering event that so, so that it shocks them into repentance so they start to own their sobriety and heal. That's what's going on. Even the nuclear option is meant to shock them into repentance and hope for their restoration. It's good for the, the unrepentant sinner. Uh, and then secondly, I think it's also good for the church. So we're, we're not done with the passage yet, not even close. So here's the Apostle Paul. He goes on, he says this. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. All right, so some of you don't bake and you're like, I don't get it. All right. So leaven. In the ancient world, they didn't have yeast, okay? So that they didn't use yeast. But what they would do is they would take a fermented lump of dough from the last batch, and they would pull that forward. They'd hold it aside and then pull it, and they'd take raw dough, and they'd put it together, and pretty soon the fermentation works through the whole lump, and the whole thing rises, hopefully. A lot of you women know about this because of friendship bread, right? Which you want to call unfriendship bread, because when a woman gives that, to you, you want to punch her in the throat because you know the amount of work coming at you, right? I get it, I get it. And again, it's a gooey piece and, and you put it in the new dough and it, it spreads throughout. What Paul is saying is be careful if you, what, what you permit, you promote, okay? So, so if you leave it unchecked, it's going to spread throughout the whole lump, the whole church will be hurt by that. Again, what you permit you promote. Your silence is implicit endorsement and it will spread through the church and infect it. And so he's concerned for the church. He talks about then being using unleavened bread. Now, this is a reference to the Passover. You know, when Israel was let out uh, of slavery, they took unleavened bread with them. It was a celebration feast. Remember, Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's our perfect sacrifice so that he leads us then out of slavery into freedom that we would be new and different. But don't bring the old lump of dough with you. Don't do that because it will ferment and infect the church. But here's the cool part. The context of Passover, he even refers to it there as a festival. Remember, they would celebrate. It was a feast. It was a party. When we start to talk about church discipline, we could degenerate like this is all of Christianity and we get into moralism and it's just about nuns smacking people on the hand with a ruler. That's not it. That's not it. Christianity is a celebration feast. It's a party with Jesus. It's a blast. It's beautiful. It's laughter, food, and fun, but not with the old lump of dough. This is for the church. It's beneficial. Craig Bloomberg, in his commentary on this passage, said this. Looking at history, he says, Not surprisingly, the church has regularly grown the fastest and become the healthiest, where loving but firm church discipline has been implemented. It's good for us. It's good for the person. It's good for us. Now, 
before we're done, Paul wants to clarify something so he, he makes sure we don't get it wrong because he wrote a previous letter and they misunderstood it. Let's look at the passage. He goes on to say, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. It's in quotes because he's quoting the Old Testament there. But up at the beginning, he refers to the previous letter. Remember, there were four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Uh, two of them are lost to us because they weren't part of the Bible. Okay? I could write you all a, a letter from Rick to Redemption Chapel, and it doesn't mean it's Bible. It ain't. Right? So he wrote two other letters in our Bible. The first one he wrote, not Bible, and evidently he said something in there they misunderstood. Now the second letter, 1 Corinthians, that we're studying. And what he says, hey, let me clarify, we are not supposed to separate from the messy people in the world. Think of being in a boat. The problem is not the water outside the boat. The problem is when the water gets inside the boat, Right? That is to say, you are supposed to hang out with messy people. Jesus did. We have a mission. It's the Great Commission. Go share the gospel with them. After all, it, listen, the water outside, we expect sinners to sin, but we want saints to repent. It's not the water outside the boat. It's the water inside the boat. Put another way, a doctor can't heal sick people unless he hangs out with them, meets with them, right? But, but listen, who does a doctor separate? Well, his partner in the, in the practice who's embezzling and who is breaking his Hippocratic oath and is hurting patients. Separate, but still meet with hurting people. See that? When it comes uh, to, let's say somebody comes to faith. Hallelujah. That's awesome. We praise Jesus. But of course, that person isn't perfect. They come into the boat dripping wet. Now there's water in the boat, but... There should be humility, there should be repentance, there should be growth. And if not, then we start the process of Matthew 18. And if they're stubbornly unrepentant all along, then we eventually get to the nuclear option. Which he puts there at the end again, purge the evil person from among you. Who's the evil? Does an evil person mean somebody in sin? If so, y'all can leave right now and I'll beat you to the door, because <laughs> we're all done. We're all done. It, it doesn't mean that. The good news from verse 7 is that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's our righteous standing before God. That's it. So who do we purge? Well, one who takes the title of Christian brother or sister, but is committed to evil and is unrepentant. That's who gets purged. And one of the things you see in the passage is these are like big sins, clear sins. These aren't like opinion sins. Like, you know, like these aren't debatable things. These are big deals. 
And, and when God has been clear and somebody is clearly in sin, what Paul is saying is we're supposed to be judgy. That sounds different in your ears, right? We're supposed to be judgy of Christians, not of non-Christians. But we have it totally reversed, right? Like we are separating ourselves from the dirty, nasty sinners out there and we're hanging out with sin in the church. And Paul's saying, flip that. Go hang out with people who need Jesus and don't hang out with sin in the church. Separate from that. In fact, to drive it home, I don't know if you caught this. Did you notice he doesn't say anything about the stepmom? Where's the discipline to her? Why she get off the hook? Why? Scholars say because she wasn't part of the church. She wasn't a Christian. That she's not our business. It's the guy in the church that is the focus of church dis- discipline. Listen, we have to quit expecting non-Christians to follow Christian rules. Sinners sin. It's by design. Don't be surprised. Don't freak out. The problem is not that sinners sin. The problem is that saints don't repent. That's the problem. And so what Paul does is he gives a wonderful vision for the church. And I'll break it down with two options here, A and B. Here's option A. A church that loves the lost, engages with them, shares the gospel with them, strives towards Christ's likeness, that's holiness. A church that is humble and repentant over our own sin. And and a church that expects much of the, and I should have put capital C, expects much of the capital C church, but little of the world. That's A. Option B, a permissive church. Eh, whatever. Cheap grace, which means grace without repentance. Lives that look like our non-Christian neighbors, trying to legislate morality to the culture and looking down on sinners for sinning. There's your options. A? A? A, please, A. Can we have A? A? I'm going for A here. What do you want? That's the vision for the church. Now, uh, I wrestled in preparing for this time, and how do I help you apply this? <laughs> so uh, I'm going to give you three things. But the first thing is this. Go out this week and do a lot of church discipline. No, <laughs> that's, that's the bad apply. Like, that's the, that's the wrestling match I have. Like, what, what? Okay, now, granted, you might be called upon, according to Matthew 18, to approach with love, but clarity, and confront a sister or brother who needs help. You might need to do that. But if we ever get to the point again of church discipline, the nuclear option, I'm going to ask you to pray for that person. And please don't gossip. Don't add sin to sin. Okay. And and thirdly, I'm going to ask in that, that you support your church leadership. Realize you're hearing about it at the tail end of a very long, painful pleading process. Our hearts are broken. We didn't get what we want but the person wouldn't repent. And because of the scriptures, we have no choice. And listen, I want you to believe the best about your church leadership. You, you realize Christianity is a team sport. In your commandment, you're supposed to be part of a church and you're supposed to be in submission to your pastors and elders. That's part of the deal. You, you need that. But here's the thing. If in that moment, you can't believe the best of your church leadership, you might need to start praying, is this a place for you? And and I I love you. I don't want a person in this room to leave. No way. 
But I love you enough that I want you to experience the blessing of being at a church where you respect and trust the leadership. And I want to get you to that spot. I want you to get you there. So go do a lot of church discipline. Application number one. Of course, that's not, it's not really something you can do this week. So I thought of two other applications flowing from the passage. Uh, the second application is this. Be submitted to God, not smarter than God. Okay, be submitted to God, not smarter than God. And when we don't like something in his word, let us as disciples take a posture of submission and trust to our good, good God. So what I want you to do is I want you to to adapt your preferences to the word of God, not adapt the word of God to your preferences. That's something you can start living out this week in many areas. Be submissive to God, not smarter than God. And then third and last, let us be repentant people. All of us, all the time. So you probably heard of Martin Luther who nailed the 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg that launched the Protestant Reformation. You also probably have never read those 95 theses. Uh, There are 95 statements, really, uh, and, and they're good stuff. The very first one, his lead off is this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The point is this. It's not one and done. It's our life. It's our life. When we sin, let's own it. Let's confess it. Let's turn from it. Let's be humble and repentant, teachable people. Let's grow, not to earn our salvation. Our perfect lamb, Jesus, did that for us. But we want to be like him. And we trust him. And so we, we got to admit, listen, by becoming Christians, we admitted we're a mess. So why is it a problem to say, yeah, I'm still in sin. I'm a mess. I need help. The entire life of believers is to be one of repentance. Let's be those people this week. And if we do that together, you know what? We'll never see the nuclear option. And I hope that's true. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come to you as a people right now. And we want to be repentant people. We want to be people turning from our sins. We want to be people that are soft in your hand, malleable to you, that you would shape our lives, that we would be honest. When we're in sin, we would turn from it and run hard toward you and not not just try to shift blame to those who are speaking love and truth to us. Father, we want to be people who adapt our preferences to your word, not the reverse. Let us never be that. Father, thank you for Jesus, our perfect Passover lamb and his sacrifice that covers us. And we want to sing about his, his sacrifice now and worship you in Christ's name. Amen.